So last week we finished a sermon series on Jonah, which I was really excited about. It felt like the perfect summer series, if I don't say so myself. It was really fun. So if you missed any of those, if you've never like read the book of Jonah from chapter 1 to chapter 4, and chapter 4 is really important, and you know why if, we, if you were here last week, then I'd really encourage you to go back and check those out, because Jonah is a story that we have that we have, I don't want to say dumbed down because that makes it sound bad, but one that we have really simplified so that we can tell to our children. But when we really read it as adults for all that it is, I think we find some, some really challenging things in Jonah's story as we see him navigate a call that he receives from God. But we're out of that this week and we're going to move into another series that we're going to be in for the month of, of August, just about. So for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be looking at some of the best stories of faith that we find in the Old Testament. It's almost kind of like a greatest hits working through the Torah, those first five books of the Bible. So this week we're going to be looking at Abram, whose name later changes to Abraham, but for us this week his name is still Abram. Next week we're going to look at Moses. The week after that we're going to look at the actual exodus out of Egypt that the Israelites experienced, that Moses led them out of slavery. And then the fourth week we're going to look at somebody named Rahab, who you may be familiar with or you may not be familiar, but she's a female heroine in the Old Testament and she actually shows up in Jesus's genealogy. We're going to be looking at all these stories of faith, trying to ask ourselves the question, how can we be a people who are living faithfully, right? I mean, doesn't it make sense for us to look at some of the greatest stories of faith that we have in our scriptures when we ask ourselves that question? How can we be a people today that are living Faithfully, How can we become or, or continue to become the faithful people that God is calling us to be? How can we be like those giants of the faith? How can we live up to their legacy? And we're going to start this week, like I said, by just looking at really a, a pretty small part of, of Abram's story, really early on in him saying yes to that call that God put on his life. And I think this moment that we're going to look at in Abram's life is one that we overlook pretty often because it's just after his call and it's really before the ball really gets rolling on God fulfilling some of the promises that he makes to Abram in that initial covenant. But Abram, I want to give you a little bit of context before we read our scripture because we're kind of picking up in, in the middle of his story. Abram comes on the scene in, in Genesis chapter 12. And if you remember, he is not a young man when he comes on the scene. He's 75 years old. And God calls Abram and his wife to go do something great. That's really all we get in that initial call. He calls them to leave their homeland and he tells them that if they say yes, specifically if Abram says yes to where God is calling them, then he's going to make a great nation out of him. Remember that song, Father Abraham had many sons? That's where that comes from. Abraham, if you say yes to this, I'm going to make a great, great nation out of you, out of your, out of your line. That God would make his name great. That God would bless Abraham so that he could be a blessing to others, but really not just others, a blessing to the nations. And Abram says yes. He says yes, no, really no ifs, ands, or buts. When we look at how Moses got called next week, next week, you'll see that Moses had a little bit of hesitation before saying yes to God calling him to go and do this thing. But Abram, Abram just says yes. 
He leaves his home country. He takes with him his wife, Sarai, who is just about as old as he is, and also his nephew named Lot. So they leave their home country. God begins to take them on a tour of the land of Canaan, which is the land that God has promised these people that are going to come from Abram's lineage. And while they're on that tour, a great famine strikes the country. And so Abram and Sarai and Lot have to make their way into Egypt just to survive the famine, just to make sure they have enough food to eat. And surprisingly, they end up doing pretty well for themselves in Egypt. And when they leave a few years later, they're rich. Abram and Lot are are really, really rich. They're rich with gold and rich with silver. They also have a ton of livestock and all these herders that are theirs now and almost everything in between. I mean, they leave Egypt with all of this stuff that they've accumulated in the land. And that is where our passage picks up for today, right as Abram and Lot and Sarai are making their way out of Egypt. And and what I think we see in this passage that we overlook so often is is Abram facing one of the first real crossroads in his ministry. One of the first real problems that he faces, aside from the famine, right? One of the, the, one of the first problems that he can actually control what the outcome is. And I love that he has to figure out a way forward out of this problem, all while remaining faithful. So let's read it together this morning. We're in Genesis 13. We're going to read verses 2 through 3 and then jump to verse 5 and go through 13. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together. For their possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the plain of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Now Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. So Abram and Lot, they, they come out of Egypt and the famine is over and they're, they're just rich. I mean, you see that, right? I mean, they come out, it's the first thing that the scripture says. They just have all of this stuff. They have so much stuff, so much stuff that they realize there's no way that they can keep living together. There's no way that they could actually inhabit the same 
land. And now this could have meant that their camps were getting really crowded between all the herders that Abram had and the herders that that Lot had. Or, Or maybe it was because all of this wealth that was suddenly in the air around them was causing a lot of infighting between the people that worked for them. Whatever it was, it's not good. And to make it worse, right? I mean, it says explicitly Lot's people are fighting, arguing with Abram's people. So you can almost picture Abram taking a step back, right? And looking at all of this contention that's before him, and he realizes that something has to change. He realizes that something's got to change here because I don't think this is going to get any better. Decisions are something that we face every day, aren't they? We've, we've been here before. It may not have been our herders fighting with somebody else's herders, but we've faced a decision that feels a whole lot like this. We've experienced a disagreement with somebody or with a group that just feels like the same thing over and over and over again. We felt like we're in a constant loop of conflict with somebody, with a person or a group, so much so, right, that when you're stuck in that loop, you realize that the conflict itself begins to become a little bit predictable. We've disagreed with our neighbor. We've, we've been in that place with somebody where we suddenly realize that no one is going to grow and, and nobody is going to flourish or be able to find joy if things remain the same. I'm betting we've all hit that point where we realize that for our own sake, but we also realize that for the sake of the person or, or the group that we're arguing with. And I think that's where Abram finds himself with Lot here in Genesis 13. And he realizes that he's going to have to make a really, a really tough decision. Which leads us to that question, right? Which is why we're looking at some of these stories of the giants of the faith. How can we make tough decisions? How can we face those forks in the road and not forsake our faith? What I really like about this story is that I think this moment in in Abram's life, I think it shows us two very different ways to face that fork in the road, to, to face that crossroads, to face tough decisions like that. And, and the first way that we get to see is the way of Lot. The second way is the way of Abraham. They take two totally different paths when they face this problem. Let's start with Lot. Lot, like we've already said, is Abram's nephew. And Abram comes to Lot and he says, look, you know and I know that we, that we can't keep living like this. We need to go our separate ways. And Abraham gives Lot a choice, doesn't he? You go east and I'll go west. You go west and, and I'll go east. And so Lot begins to look around. What does the east look like and what does the west look like? And he realizes something. He realizes that the land to the east was the plain of Jordan. And it was pretty fertile land. It says it was well Watered so much so that a lush garden was growing there that resembled the Garden of Eden. I mean, talk about lushness, talk about beauty, talk about the perfect land, the land of milk and the land of honey. He realizes that the land to the east is paradise. It's perfect. It checks every single box that you could ask a piece of land to check. And then to the west, not, not so much right? To the west is really just desert. 
So Lot makes the decision that's good for him. He doesn't take a day to think about it. It doesn't really seem like he takes much time at all to think about it. He just sees the land to the east, realizes that it is everything he could want out of a piece of land, and he takes it, doesn't he? He says, oh, okay. If you insist, Abram, then then I'm going to go east. He wants it, and he takes it. And to me, it really reads almost as simple as that. He sees what he wants, and he grabs it. And he begins to take his people to the east. The more I thought about Lot here, do y'all know who I, who I found myself thinking of? And I'm hoping that everybody in here is going to like be able to see this animation in their head. How many of y'all have seen Shrek? Like the OG Shrek. I'm not talking about Shrek 3D or 4D. I'm talking about 2001, Eddie Murphy is the donkey, Shrek, right? And waffles in the morning, Shrek, like the good one. Do y'all remember Lord Farquaad? Do y'all remember his character? Do y'all remember how selfish he was? I mean, it was almost like the plot line of that whole story was driven by what? His selfishness. From the first time he comes on the screen to the last time that he is on the screen at that wedding at the end of the movie, he is only concerned about one thing. He is only concerned about what, about what he wants. He wants all the fairy tale creatures out of the land. So remember, he sends them all to Shrek's house. And then he decides that he wants a queen, and he doesn't really care who has to die for that to happen for him. But he wants it. And so somebody's going to go get it for him. And I won't spoil the ending, even though it seems like most of you have seen it, but it doesn't end too well for Lord Farquaad, does it? I'm, I'm pretty sure he like gets eaten at the end of the movie or something like that. And I don't know how tall Lot was, because remember, Lord Farquaad was... That was like one of the jokes. But he reminds me of Farquaad a little bit. I mean, he really does. For some reason, I couldn't get his face out of my head when reading this story and looking at the decisions that Lot, that Lot makes. Without even thinking of anybody else, without even considering how it may affect the other, he chooses the option that is best for him. And some of you may be saying, well, of course he chooses the more fertile land. That's not selfishness. That's just, that's just prudence. But if we keep reading to the end of the scripture and, and take note of what is included in our passage for today, I think, I think we see that, that this moment is really meant, meant to show us that first look at what the sin of Lot and his people will be. For Lot already is, but for his people will will become. That sin that they would really struggle with. Because Lot's story goes on from this moment. Our scripture continues to follow him for a few more chapters. And and as it alludes, Sodom, where Lot ends up living, would eventually be destroyed by fire. Remember, there's this whole story about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And, And the sin that they really struggled with was that they were selfish. They were self serving. When we read the story, we don't really get an explanation for why Sodom was destroyed. But if we look at Ezekiel, I'm just going to jump there for a second because I want you all to hear this. When we look at Ezekiel chapter 16, this is what we get. The guilt of your sister Sodom, she and her daughters had pride. They had excess of food and were prosperous, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. It almost seems to me that Lot's decision here in Genesis 13 sets the trajectory, not only for him, but for 
his people who go on to be destroyed by fire simply because they wouldn't share. Simply because they wouldn't share the food on their table, which was abundant with the people that needed it the most. They were selfish. They didn't care for the needy. And and that was what their downfall was just a few chapters later. Not to mention just a few chapters later, we get another story that's pretty dark of Lot offering his two daughters to a mob of of Sodomite men. Genesis is full of some crazy stuff, y'all. And it all starts here at, at chapter 13, where Lot decides to take what he wants instead of considering anybody else but him. So I think that's part of what we're supposed to see here in this story, is that Lot is selfish. He's, he's self-serving. He's self-centered. He's only consumed with himself. He wants what he wants. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, right, if I'm honest with myself, then when I face crossroads like this, my first inclination, my gut reaction is to take what I want and to get out. Is that how y'all feel? When you face a crossroads like this, if you're honest with that inner voice in your head, the first thing that you think of is, well, I could, I could just take this and be good for me, and I could, I could get out. Our first reaction is to do what's best for us and then to not worry about the consequences that they may have, almost to turn our back to that, right? Well, if we don't have to see it, then maybe it's not real. And, and look, I, just, I don't think that's a faithful response. I don't think that's a faithful response to a crossroads that we face in our life. I think we as a people of faith, we as a people who are trying to be the faithful people that God is calling us to be, I think that we can do better than that. I think God calls us to do better than that, and I think that we can do better than that. I think we get a glimpse of what that could look like when we look at Abram. When we look at the hard choices that he had to make, when we see this story from his perspective, because he's the one that made the decision for the people to split. And he's also the one that made the decision to give Lot the choice of which land Lot was going to take. I'm willing to bet that Abram knew the land to the east was better than the land to the west. And I'm also betting that Abram had a pretty good sense of what Lot was going to do. I'm guessing that he knew that if he laid out the choices before Lot, that more than likely Lot was going to take the land that was best him. The hardest part about this is that really this was Abram's decision to make. Remember, Abram is the patriarch. He's the head of the family. Lot is his nephew. There would have been no eyes batted if Abraham had gone to Lot and said, okay, Lot, we need to go our separate ways. You see the east? You see that clump of land over to the east that looks a whole lot like the garden of the Lord? Yeah, obviously I'm going to take that one. Seniority right? That's mine. And you can go wherever you want to go in the West. You go knock yourself out. There's some beautiful desert over there, but that's not what he does, is it? That's not what he, that's not what he does. Do you see now that, that when they're faced with this crossroad, their reactions are very, very different. Lot is clearly self-serving, so much so that we almost, we just can't miss it. And Abraham is clearly self-sacrificing. Abraham does what is best for others, even though it means that he may not end up with the best land. Abram chose peace. 
Abram gave up way more to Lot than he, than he took. When Abram comes to this first big crossroads of his ministry, he chooses others instead of choosing himself. And look, I think every single one of us will face crossroads like this just in, in our life. I'm sure we already have, and there will be more to come, right? We face things like this in our life all the time. And, and when we do, we're going to have a choice, just like we do every time. We can either go the way of Lot or we can go the way of Abram. The way of Lot will mean reaching for as much as we can take and taking all of it for ourselves, no matter what kind of effect it may have on others. And the way of Abram is the opposite to think of others before you think for yourself. And look, you know what I'm going to say, right? I'm a pastor. You know how I'm going to finish this sermon. It's going to be a challenge for you that, that we as a people, we as a community, they're trying to be that faithful people that God is calling us to be, that we are called to the way of Abram. We're not called to the way of Lot. And I think a really fair question in response to that is why? Why is it that we as a people of faith, we as followers of Christ, why is it that we're called to this way of self-sacrificing rather than taking what we want? Why should we not think like Lot? Why shouldn't we give in to that? Why shouldn't we claim the land of milk and honey, that land that looks like the garden of the Lord? Why shouldn't we claim it for ourselves? Why? And I, I think the answer is this, because... The way of Abram is not just the way of Abram. It's also the way of Jesus. This is a really simple sermon, guys. The reason that we're called to be a people who are willing to give up more than we take is because we know the story that Jesus was also faced with a choice, a choice that was much more difficult than the one that Abram and Lot faced and one that had much higher stakes. And he chose others. I want to read you like a really short snippet out of the Gospel of John. It's chapter 12, and I want to read it to you because it's one of the places where we get some inner dialogue from Jesus as he is processing what this choice is that he's facing. It's John 12, and it's 27 to 30. Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? What, what should I do? Should I seek my own safety because I'm afraid or, or should I seek to save myself because I'm not sure that I really want to do this. And what does he say? He says, no, no. Jesus is faced with the decision. It's us or him. And Jesus chooses us. He chooses you. So why should we choose the way of Abram instead of the way of Lot? Because if Jesus hadn't have taken the way of Abram, friends, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. The only reason we are here, the only reason we have this table, the only reason we have access to the grace and the love and the hope and the peace that we talk about here every single week that sustains us and gives us life 
is because when faced with that choice, Jesus chose you over himself. That's the good news for us this week, that the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, when faced with that choice that we see Abram and Lot faced with, chose you. And our call is to simply choose others in response. So I wonder which way you'll take the next time you find yourself at a crossroad, next time you find yourself facing a problem. I wonder if you'll be somebody that takes the way of Lot or someone that's willing to take the way of Abram, remembering what Jesus has already done for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.